And our program continues this morning. Left, right, and center is our traditional uh, Wednesday show. And uh, we welcome to the program, as we do each Wednesday, uh, Bob Metz, who is associated with the Freedom Party and uh, general political gadfly who flits around on the right, more or less. Uh, Jeff Schlemmer is our his traditional opponent, if I can use that term. Jeff is not able to be with us today. He's in court. In, or actually, he's not in court. He's lecturing in Toronto today. Oh, right? uh, two law students. Uh, so our news director, James McMillan, has joined us, and uh, Jim hasn't been on the program for a while. It's nice to have you here again. Oh, sure. Uh, I would like to start today with a letter we received at the show. I'm just going to read this. It won't take very long, but it, it, it struck me as something that would be apropos for, for left, right, and center, just to get your, your thoughts on I'll read it very quickly. This is from uh, Jeff. Uh, so, Jim, there have been a couple of threads of discussion I've heard lately about who we are as Canadians, and the consensus in both was that our primary defining characteristic is our politeness. But I have to say that I find myself unconvinced. How can a polite society have such a sneering disregard for its neighboring country? I don't just mean the Bush government, which is such a pariah in Canada, that if you don't have a two-minute hate centered on President Bush whenever his name is mentioned, you're looked at suspiciously. We also denigrate the social fabric of the country, saying they have no morals, they're uneducated, superstitious, callous, etc. I think this is just ignorance. I think Canadians visit a depressed urban area and assume that what they see there represents America. I think if you dropped yourself down in any American city of the same size as a Canadian city, you'd be hard-pressed to differentiate them. This is accepting large portions of the states where the manners you would find would be much to be admired. To be admired, rather. I don't have rose-colored glasses. I understand the U.S. is far from perfect, and I often lament the direction they're going, expanding government, protectionism, xenophobic politicians, etc. But fundamentally, Canadians won the global lottery by finding ourselves with such a neighbor. Their presence on our border has absolved us of the tough business of defending ourselves, finding markets for our products, etc. People talk about how Canadians are generous because we have universal social programs. Assuming for a moment that these programs do in fact demonstrate our generosity, does it occur to those who would denigrate the U.S. that one of the main reasons we can afford to have them is that the U.S. is our neighbor? And I guess by implication our trading partner. For Canadians to preen about our high-minded politeness and at the same time take every opportunity to take cheap shots at the U.S. is just the opposite of politeness. I think that if politeness is our objective, we should all take an inventory of how we conduct ourselves. Bob, two questions. One, is this characterization of Canadians as polite? Is that, is that have any relevance to us, to the way we conduct our lives? And, and is our sort of, and this is not universal, but our semi-official national disdain for the Americans, does that put the lie to our politeness? Um. To your first question, I think that certainly many Europeans and Americans, when comparing a Canadian to an American or, in, or an European or someone even from Asia, might say Canadians are very polite. And I've heard that myself from various quarters. Um, whether Canadians regard themselves as such, I don't know. We've certainly had numerous examples locally <laughs> and across <laughs> the country yeah. of uh, glaring impoliteness in mm -hmm. the extreme. So whether it's our national identity or perceived as such, I think that's been largely because of Canada's role in the world, uh, traditionally anyway, that uh, we haven't been viewed as, uh, for example, imperialistic in the way the U.S. is seen by so many people. Incorrectly, I believe, but that's another issue. Um, and the second part of your question was about 
um, our, uh, how we think about the U.S.? Is well, ours is sort of semi-institutionalized anti-American sentiment here. Certainly, uh, the, the liberal government for 12 or 13 years did everything but institutionalize it. It's I, a little different now. Uh, it's, it's an issue that, that concerns me greatly. Um, in fact, it was something I was working on on 9-10, the day before 9-11, talking about, you know, writing an article on how virulent the anti-Americanism was getting, both here and abroad. And what bothers me most about what we call anti-Americanism is not that, like, I think America's a great country, but I have a lot of criticisms for its policies, mm-hmm. particularly a few. You've heard me discuss them here. Mm-hmm. But for the most part... The rest of the world criticizes the United States for its virtues and not for its vices. And that is what alarms me. What virtues in uh, particular? Well, for its free enterprise. You know, everybody thinks universal uh, health care is, uh, is somehow a moral issue, right? You've got to have universal health care when, in fact, universal uh, social programs in general uh, undermine the ability of a society to help those in need. Why should people who aren't in need be on, a, on the dole? It just doesn't make sense to me. Um, it defies the whole concept of a safety, social safety net, but nevertheless, uh, you know, on this show here, we've had Marion Boyd, we've had Susan Eagle, and I've asked them bluntly, why don't you believe in helping just the poor and letting everybody help themselves, you know? And no, no, we've got to have the rich and the middle class and everybody in on it because, of course, the real motivation behind our social programs is not generosity, it's selfishness. It's wanting to know, and I've, I've caught many people in this, that, uh, the benefit you are so strongly advocating in public for the other guy is really going to be there for you when it's your turn. And that's understandable. Um, but there are more civilized ways in doing it than through government. And I think that's the private way, the insurance okay. way, and the charity way. The, the, Ameri- the, the American that Americans way. Americans are criticized for. Uh, not that they're American. They're not exclusively American. But James, what do you think? Are, 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 a, the same question. Are we polite? Is that a defining characteristic of Canada? And 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 does our treatment of the Americans put the lie to our to if if so put the lie to our aspirations to be known for our politeness? Well, there's a whole bunch of angles in all of that. Um, one thing would be: is it politeness or just flying under the radar in terms of the international stage? I mean, obviously, there's times when when Canadian politicians go out and and do things, uh, you know, Pearson and, and people in the past, but. Uh, a lot of the time, it's more just content to, to go with the flow. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this whole politeness thing then can maybe just come from that. You know, we're not speaking up and, and annoying anybody, so they, they must be okay people. Um, in terms of the whole the picking on American business and, and uh, beating up on them, well, I was traveling with some Americans in the summer um, from somewhere south, Texas or, or Arizona, somewhere down there anyway, and uh, and they were pretty anti-American too, uh, anti-American in the sense that they hated Bush. Mm-hmm. So other than that, you know, they they had American citizenship, but other than that, they could have been just as Canadian as I was. So uh, I don't think there was too much difference there. So what he says here, for example, uh, about the cities, he said if you put a Canadian down in any you know sort of comparable American city, you'd hardly know the difference. And I, that's been my experience. I've had the opportunity well, I, I to visit agree. a lot of American cities. I certainly agree with that. And I there are neighborhoods you don't want to go into, but generally speaking, they're same in Canada. Yeah. Try Toronto nowadays. Yeah. There are all kinds of neighborhoods <laughs> you don't want to go into. And that's true in Vancouver, too, when I was there. And it's amazing yep. how some of the uh, neighborhoods you don't want to go into are so close to the very good neighborhoods. <laughs> it could be almost across the street sometimes. It's amazing. It's like a line. But it does exist. And you cannot 
uh, identify an entire nation based on a five-block radius in one city. That's ridiculous. Okay, we're going to pause for just a second. It's the Jim Chapman News Hour, left, right, and center with Bob Metz and James McMillan today, and we'll be back right after this. James McMillan is our news director here at uh, CHRW, and he very kindly consented to join us today in Jeff Schlemmer's absence. Nice to have you here, James. And uh, Bob Metz, of course, is with us, our regular panelist. I was saying during the break uh, to uh, my friends here that uh, I have another friend who spends part of each winter in the United States, and when he comes back in the spring, the first two weeks of his return is nothing but, oh, the darn Americans this, and the Americans that, and the Americans something else, and they're this, and they're that, and they're... He's just, he's not very happy with them. He's, interestingly to me too, I guess it's not a political thing because if anything, his politics are right of center. You would think he would, you know, politically might have fewer complaints. Just does not like them at all, but spends every winter there. My observation has been, and I spent a lot of time in the States, 95% of the time in my personal experience, I could just as easily have been in Edmonton or Vancouver or Montreal or Toronto, as being Seattle or Dallas or New Orleans or or Tampa or where you know all the places that I've been. For most of the experiences that you have in an average day, there's very little difference between Canada and the United States, in my experience. But I wonder. I want to ask you guys: Do you think perhaps some of the negativity is? Uh, brought on by our expectations. I think my friend, when he goes down there now, expects to see evidence of his particular prejudices and so takes careful note every time he sees that. Every time he sees somebody overeating in a restaurant, every time somebody honks the horn at him and, and gives him the finger in traffic and so on. James, do you think that's... <laughs> that could, is that part of it, that, that some people are, for lack of a better phrase, looking for trouble? Yeah, well, you find what you want to see. Um, I mean, probably part of it is is we're looking at a lot in a in a historical context that maybe isn't as true as it is today. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously, 200 years ago we were fighting each other on on the side of of you know armed border. Mm-hmm. But uh, as you kind of come forward, I think a lot of the probably a lot of it has to do with culture in in the 20th century with with you know the the expansion of of electronic media and movies and and books and all that sort of mm-hmm. blurring borders and cultural lines that way. So we've become much more homogenous. Um, compared to what we were, you know, a century ago. Yeah. So that's, you know, people are sort of, you know, they've grown up with sort of, you know, what their parents say and, and what they've heard from the past and, and blah, blah, blah. And, um, reached the point where they, they get this image. But, you know, when you came down to it these days, if you sort of sit them side by side, then there's probably not so much of a difference. Bob, what do you think? Or do, do the, is any, well, let me, let me back up and rephrase. How much of our anti-Americanism in this country do you think is that we, as James says, that we find what we're looking for? Um, it's interesting. I think people, different people are aware of different things and therefore see different things. Um, a person who's politically unaware doesn't know what's going on around them politically. A person who's aware of the ever growth uh, growth of the debt the government debt or the growth of government itself will see it because they they will identify it having known what it is. So a lot of, quote, seeing what you want to see is, I think, perhaps a cultivated thing in in the sense of uh, that's what you see in essence of your survival. In fact, I think that's how our senses work. Mm-hmm. That's what our eyes focus on. That's why we see the objects as we have to see them in mm-hmm. order to survive. So uh, I think that's sort of a natural inclination. 
But um, I, I share with you your experience about, I, I mean, I've been up and down I-75 and in all the states on the eastern seaboard and even in New York City for a while, uh, practically living there because I had relatives there, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, everywhere, the friendliest people on the face of this planet, I don't care. It's just amazing. I expected, this was in the, even in the late 70s, um, and I got to see the trade towers and all that stuff too. But even in the uh, in the subways, which were just uh, riddled with graffiti and all sorts of stuff, where you, you hear about all these crime waves and everything, friendliest people I ever saw of every color, every creed. You know, they could tell you were a stranger but or a tourist, think, and they talked to you. Don't you think part of that, a big part of that, is that you is a feedback? You know, like a feedback loop. If you present yourself as non-threatening and not overtly friendly, but just sort of passively friendly. And this has been my experience because my father told me many, many, many years ago when I was a very young man and was leaving home to go and travel and go on the road and so on. And he said, your, your, your best friend, your best friend on the road is your own mild nature. I don't know what he's talking about. I said, what are you talking about? I don't have a mild nature. I'm an outgoing, loud kind of guy. He says, no, no, you misunderstand. He said that your best friend when you're traveling and meeting new people is not to be overt, just to be kind of placid and passive, passively friendly, be open to everything, don't be aggressive, and you'll be amazed at how well people will treat you. And that has been exactly my experience for my entire life. When I travel... Well, then we must be nice guys. Well, <laughs> or, or people think we are. Yeah, okay. People think, maybe we fool them, people think we are. But many of the people that I know, personally, who seem to have problems with other people, whether it's in Canada sure. or the United States, wherever they go... They're kind of abrasive folks to start with, and I wonder if that's not part of the part of the equation too. If you go looking for trouble, you're going to find it. You know, I think there's a lot of truth to that, and maybe we don't even think about it enough. Um, I certainly, you know, I, I I don't have any reason to be aggressive with anyone unless they give me a reason to be. So why would I take that stance to begin with? Mm-hmm. Certainly, if I came into a strange situation with that attitude, and people can pick up on it, um, I guess I shouldn't expect people to respond. In a different way, mm-hmm. why would they? Mm-hmm. James, what are, you're, you're a little younger than Bob and I. Is it a different perspective from your generation? No. I, well, I was just going to say, actually, that, you know, with your friend you were talking about earlier going down there, maybe it's part of it would be, you know, he has this chip on his shoulder. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so, therefore, he's getting certain different responses yeah. as, as compared to Bob's experience that he's just described. Um, something else I was going to bring up um, that sort of relates is you have to think about the center of gravity and... You know, we think of the physical sense of gravity, but the American sort of country itself has its mm-hmm. own gravity in, mm-hmm. in that philosophical and mindset yeah. kind of way. So, you know, you think of Canadians are very friendly because, you know, they know a bunch of stuff about Americans and, you know, they pay attention to the world, say. I mean, Americans are probably paying as much attention to events as a Cana- the average Canadian is, but the fact is that their gravity of their country and that my idealism, you know, pulls them so much within their own country, not paying out out attention to the rest of the world, and and therefore Canada. So maybe that's where we get some of this rudeness too. That's very interesting because it's almost like that science science fiction, which probably physics probably has one too. But they talk about gravity wells, you know, where mm-hmm. it sucks exactly. in everything you can see, everything around it. And with with an, a country like the United States that has that has such gravity, such gravitas, so much, as you said earlier, mm. Bob, so many sort of commendable things that they do that they can look around and say, hey, we're not so bad after all. And, and it gets tougher maybe to look beyond their borders than it is for a smaller country like us. We're going to pause for just a second. It's left, right, and center on the Jim Chapman News Hour here on 94.9 CHRW. James McMillan and Bob Metz with us today, and we'll be back with more right after this. James McMillan is our news director here at uh, 94. 94- <laughs> 
<laughs> just about said twelve ninety CJBK, and I'm glad I didn't say that. In fact, I'm glad I didn't even think that. <laughs> CHRW's news director James McMillan and Bob Metz with us today. Uh, nice to have them both here. We've been talking about this letter that we got from Jeff, this email from Jeff, in which hey, he James made a comment earlier. I just like to reflect sure. on. He's talking about which I agree with. In fact, and. You said it something a little better than I said earlier. You talked about Canada sort of flying under the radar, and I like that expression, but I'm almost wondering is when you were talking about Canada's perception of being polite and everything, mm-hmm. I'm wondering if it's we're not even on the radar anymore in the sense of being mm-hmm. uh, someone, you know, like, okay, maybe we're just seen as being polite because we're not a factor, mm-hmm. and uh, politeness doesn't matter in that case. So, well, we're, no, no, just a thought, yeah. but, you know. Well, we're, I think another expression of that was was exemplified last night at the All Candidates meeting for London North Centre. It was uh, mentioned earlier, was on the Rogers Television, and I saw it. Um, you have the NDP, Ma- Megan Walker, very, very adamantly insisting that Canadian soldiers should not be in harm's way, that uh, that we are peacekeepers, we are not war makers. Um, everybody on the panel had a strong opinion one way or the other on that. Everybody said, God bless the troops. You know, we support the troops, but not the mission. Um, incredible polarization there, though. And I wonder whether, how much that reflects a true polarization in the nation. I mean, it seems to me the, the, the polite military alternative is to be a peacekeeper. The a little more well, aggressive see, uh, or perhaps realistic <laughs> approach is to do what never needs to be done. Uh, I, I don't, you know, John Thompson of the McKenzie Institute. Mm-hmm. Well, He'll tell you over and over again that there ain't no such thing as a peacekeeper. You're a war maker. That's mm-hmm. what you're there to do. Peacekeeping is, is a nonsensical concept in that sense. Uh, if you're there, but many to, Canadians uh, don't think so. No, many well, Canadians think that's, 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 that's a, that's a, that's a delusion. <laughs> I mean, I, maybe you're not a peacekeeper, but I don't know about the war maker. I'd say maybe you're sort of you're stuck in the middle mm-hmm. between between the the people that are trying to make the war. Mm-hmm. But you're a force, and that's what you're doing there. You've got guns, you've got weapons, you've got... Well, without that... You're not going out and purposely shooting at people. No, without that force... You are. You are keeping it. Yeah, Yeah. but that's that's a response. That's not an outright attack. Yeah, but but you have to have... There has to be the There has to be the premise of of violence, or you have no value, though, as we saw with the UN in Rwanda, for example. They had no military capability. They had no ability to influence things uh, militarily, and they were ignored. But there are so many cases where Canada is doing exactly what the United States or some other nation like France is doing, and we call ours our activities peacekeeping and theirs war making. So that's where you see the comparison, you know, even in, in the self-image sense. Well, are we too polite to fight? I often wonder if. Uh, you know, we think it's going to be, we're better off red than dead. <laughs> I think that's the average Canadian attitude, and in the long run, that's not better off, as has been witnessed many times around that was the world. For I pe- think Canadians... I just want to say, for people for unfamiliar with that, that was a phrase from the 1950s. 50s, that, yeah. yeah. Better red than dead, meaning that, you know, we should just give up and, and uh, we don't want to fight the Soviet Union. Yeah, and we and we basically gave up. Um, I remember sitting at a table with a group of uh, students from Beijing who came here, and they, they viewed Canada as the idealistic socialist country, mm-hmm. and that any Canadians even thought we were capitalistic, but that was a ha-ha joke to them. Mm. You know, they they thought, "What are you talking about? This is well, what we're we preach not a in China." Country. <laughs> well, we are in, in in a we're a mixed economy. Yeah. If, if you want to be technical about it, but the mix is getting extremely great when more than half of the economy is taking in taxes from people. So that, to me, tells you, you're more on the socialist side. And, and in every aspect that is socialist, it's dysfunctional. 
health care, education, you know, anything the government touches, you know, that, that it shouldn't be doing. Well, several of the candidates last night noted that we have a fabulous health care system. We just have to tweak it a little. You know what? Yeah, because they're talking about what's going on in the hospital, in a given hospital at a given time. And at all times, again, American Canadian hospitals are about the same. That's not what we're talking about when we say we have a bad health care system. Mm-hmm. We're talking about access to the average guy into that great health care system who has to wait in months and months. Mm-hmm. We're talking about a health care system from hospital right on down to the government funding that's all in the state of deficit. Have you seen the deficits of our hospitals? How, uh, how are they year. ever going to look after you and me when we're 80? Yeah. <laughs> it know, ain't going to happen. The thing I, uh, that I'd like to see a definitive study done on, and I'm not aware that one has been done, I'd like to know, and, and political rhetoric aside, because the politicians all have reasons for this, and, and the socialists have reasons why it wasn't. Why is it I can go, I live in Michigan, I can go to a hospital in Michigan, and if I don't get seen in an emergency room in 29 minutes or less, I get a free pizza. Now, how can they pot and the pizza's neither here nor there, but how can they, and, 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 and it's, it's oversimplistic to say it's the free market, but specifically, how is it they can afford to deliver that service in Canada just across the border? I go to the, I go to the ER, not only, or to, yeah, to the ER, not only do I not get a free pizza, I'm not likely to see a doctor for one or two or three or four or six or eight hours. I'd like to know, I really would like to know, f- functionally, what's the functional functionally, difference? Functionally, there's private health care in, in that state, and by private health care, we don't mean doctors delivering health care, they're all private in both countries. Private health care means you, as a private individual, are allowed to pay for your own health care. That's what it means. It doesn't well, mean anything else. Is that, does, are their ERs that much more expensive than ours? I mean, no. if you looked at the money that's I being imagine, generated? I imagine there's some competition going on, but, the, but, but when you have a, a private system where people are generally paying their own way, there's some government assistance for those who can't help. That exists in the States. But um, what happens is you end up having an overabundance of doctors. But we because, don't have that. Not here, because we don't. We're not allowed to pay him here. Here, a doctor in Ontario is told how much he makes when he works, what hour he's doing. You know, everything well, is told. He's treated like a slave, basically, by the Canadian. Well, government. there's doctors out there that are refusing to work, and, and mm-hmm. that's why we're having you know. Well, they can reach it, and that's what I'd or, be doing too if yeah. I was in their position. But, but in this emergency room thing in the states, I mean, I don't only, there's only really two possibilities as to how they're do, able to do this 20 minute guarantee thing. They've either got too many doctors sitting around most of the time. And, you know, there's not going to be a steady stream of patients all the time. So there's obviously too many doctors sitting around, or the doctor is saying, hi, what's your problem, and then going back to whatever else they had to do. And that's, you know, that's seeing within 20 minutes. doesn't mean they're actually doing anything. Wouldn't you rather have them see you, though, if you go into, even if the doctor just gives you a cursory exam, isn't that better than waiting for hours and hours and hours well, to see a doctor? Well, we get that now we're here with nurses. The nurse checks you over and, you know, takes your pulse yeah, and, but a and nurse isn't asks a what's going on. No. Well, as much as, my, I, as, much but, as I respect if nurses. You're, if you're dying, I think the nurse is still going to push into the doctor yeah. pretty quick. Yes. We, yeah. had, we had an experience in Florida when we were down there for a month in 2000. And uh, around the Orlando area, private hospitals and clinics everywhere. You couldn't walk three blocks without somebody trying to invite you in for a checkup. We had an emergency with one of the kids that were with us. Uh, we thought it was serious. Thankfully, it wasn't. But we were in and out of that hospital in 20 minutes, mm-hmm. in and out. And uh, actually, they spent an extra 20 minutes there filling out a survey on how good they thought the service was. Okay, And paid not a cent when they were in there. They just, they just told them they had some form of Canadian insurance, and they'd settle it later. 
because it was a Sunday and mm. no, nobody was even doing that stuff. So, you know, the stories you hear out of the states, I think, are largely politically driven for political ends, not reality. Very quickly, we're almost out of time here for each of you. Uh, Canada's uh, high commissioner for whatever she's a high commissioner for, the UN, Louise Arbour, uh, made some comments earlier this week uh, castigating Israel for their behavior in the, in the uh, uh, West Bank. Um, she was pelted with rocks and such uh, earlier today uh, in an Israeli town uh, on the West Bank uh, by people who had been come under constant rocket attacks. And in fact, a rocket attack occurred while she was there, apparently landed mm-hmm. within a kilometer or so where she was. Uh, any comments on her comments, James? Did you? What did you make of that? Well, both the Israelis, the Palestinians, and everybody else over there needs to, to get control of their emotions to a certain extent. Um, I mean... Israel's always beating up on the Palestinians. The Palestinians are always beating up on Israel. And all things considered, Israel always seems to get the support from everybody else. So it's hardly fair that way. Little wonder the Palestinians are upset. Do you, do you buy well, the... I couldn't disagree more with that, yeah. boy. I mean, there's good guys and bad guys there. The good guys are the Israelis, the bad guys are the Palestinians, and you can see it all the time. Israelis have made concessions so, so many times. They took the land over in the first place. Well, because there were reasons for that, and and even Israel's existence was that. I mean, you can argue about every country in Europe over the same reasons. The boys are playing in the background. we got to get out of here. Thank you, gentlemen, both of you, for joining us today. James McMillan and Bob Metz, appreciate them being here. It's lunchtime. If you've enjoyed this presentation, visit justrightmedia.org for more programming that's not right-wing, it's just right.